Hello and welcome to Little Yo Pod, the podcast where we bring you stories and information from Yosemite National Park and the Sierra Nevada Mountains. I'm Laura Jackson, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about black oak trees, a common tree species in Yosemite with a very special and very important connection to the ecosystem and the people of Yosemite Valley. When I think of oak trees, my mind wanders back to the central coast of California, where I spent my high school years. The name of the town I lived in, Paso Robles, or formerly El Paso de Robles, means the Pass of the Oaks. Oak trees thrive in the Mediterranean climate of inland coastal areas, which is why it may come as a surprise to see such a robust population of oaks in Yosemite Valley, which sits in the Sierra Nevada mountain range at roughly 4,000 feet in elevation. But while oak trees may not be the first tree species to come to mind when thinking of the mountains, the black oaks of Yosemite are an important feature of this landscape for many species of animals and for the first people who made the area their home. If you take a walk around Yosemite Valley in autumn, pay special attention to the oak trees. You may recognize their familiar shape, although the black oaks of Yosemite are some of the most impressive oak species in California. They are larger than many other types of oaks, and some of them are so tall they almost rival neighboring conifers in height. The bark of black oaks is very dark gray and almost black in some cases, and they are deciduous, which means they grow and lose their leaves every year. The leaves start out fuzzy and red in the spring, then turn a brilliant bright green in the summer before they die off and turn brown in the fall. But unlike most deciduous trees, black oaks hang on to their leaves for weeks and sometimes months after they have died. Black oak leaves are marcescent, meaning they remain on the branches only dropping to the ground when the tree releases them, when it needs the extra nutrients in the soil. Some black oaks hang on to their dead leaves into late winter or even early spring. But it is the black oak acorn that makes this tree species so significant and the reason why we have an unusually high population of the tree in Yosemite Valley. Acorns produced by black oaks feed a myriad of wildlife species, including squirrels, deer, bears, and acorn woodpeckers. Acorn woodpeckers, noted for the red spot on the crown of their head, drill hundreds of holes into the trunks of conifer trees and stash the nuts for later. They make sure when the nut is placed into the hole that it is placed pointy side in and that way it sits flush against the trunk of the tree so that the squirrels cannot easily grab the nuts for themselves. Now California ground squirrels and western gray squirrels both gather nuts from the ground and bury them in select locations for later retrieval. Ground squirrels even have special pockets in their cheeks where they can stuff several nuts at a time. After they clean the nut from any dirt and debris, they rub it on their chins before stuffing it in their cheeks, and that marks the nut with their scent, which makes it easier to find later on. And if you're looking for a good way to spend some time, just Google how many nuts can a squirrel fit in its mouth and get ready for something pretty amazing. Their cheeks are like as wide as their bodies. It's really impressive. I don't even know how many they can fit in there, but it's quite a few. (laughs) Um, Now, mule deer graze the ground around oak trees looking for acorns in autumn months. You can actually find whole families of uh, mule deer positioned under the black oaks noshing away on those little tasty morsels. And my advice here is Do not Google deer eating nuts. You'll see one video of deer eating walnuts from a tree and the rest of the videos are something you probably don't want to see. (laughs) And now I'm sure you're going to go Google it. (laughs) But uh, be sure you Google the the, uh, squirrels first. (laughs) 
or after if you need to pick me up. Uh, but the species that really takes advantage of acorn season are Yosemite's black bears. Acorns are a huge part of their diet in autumn, supplying the bears with the much-needed nutrition boost to carry them through the winter. Acorns are one of the most calorically dense food options found in nature, and the survival of a black bear depends on a high caloric intake during this crucial time. Bears need to put on almost twice their body weight, and maybe more uh, if they're carrying cubs, during the fall. Um, And that means that they can consume, or they're expected to consume, actually up to 20,000 calories a day. So a lot of their diet consists of acorns because they contain about 140 calories per ounce of edible material, which is quite a bit. Um, The oak trees actually depend on birds and mammals as well. Nuts that have been buried will sometimes germinate and grow saplings. And since the fruit does not fall far from the tree, so to speak, the nuts that sprout are typically from a nearby parent tree, which could give the sapling an advantage. Parent trees uh, send packets of nutrients through the soil through a complex system called the mycorrhizal network to their offspring. It's kind of like sending a care package to someone at sleepaway camp. The mycorrhizal network is the system between the roots of plants and hypha, the long filament branches of fungus that connect all the plant species in a specific location. So what that means is that trees can communicate with each other and the other plants, and they play favorites as well. The relationships that exist between the plants, the trees, the fungus, and the animals and bird species has been finely tuned over hundreds of thousands and perhaps even millions of years. It's no coincidence that acorns fall from trees during the most critical feeding time for creatures who depend on them, and it's also no coincidence that animals and birds populate an area where oak trees are abundant. But black oak trees were one of the main contributing factors that drew early human inhabitants to the Yosemite area as well. Before Western settlers arrived in Yosemite, the people who lived there were called the Awanichis, and they survived on the acorns from black oak trees. Acorns made up most of their diet, with each family consuming up to 500 pounds a year. The Awanichis would gather the acorns in fall and store them in stilted granaries where they dried out for months or perhaps even years before being processed. The women of the Awanichis took the acorns to communal pounding stones where they would crack the nuts open and then pound them into a fine meal. Now you can see one of these pounding stones in Yosemite Valley today. It's not marked or labeled and you won't find it on any map because it is an archaeological site and the Park Service does not want to draw any extra attention to it that may compromise its integrity. It is one of the few remaining pieces of evidence of early civilization in the area and it sits near the extinct Indian village of Wiskala which is now the site of the Awani Hotel. The Awanichis were diligent in their collection and cultivation of acorns. Not uncommon for the time, they used fire to manage much of the land in Yosemite Valley. Annual burning cleared dry grasses, easing the gathering process, and burned away emerging conifer saplings. Conifers, especially ponderosa pines and incense cedars, are the main source of competition for black oak trees since they can grow much taller and cover up that sunlight. Conifers quickly overtake oaks in a relatively short amount of time, and incense cedars are also shade tolerant, which gives them an extra advantage over the oaks. We see this, what is, it's called conifer encroachment on the valley floor today. Um, and what we see now are thousands of trees that have grown in since the Awanichis were removed from Yosemite Valley in 1851. 
since then, managed burning and natural fire have been suppressed by early pioneers and later on as part of park management. It is supposed in the early years of Yosemite as a park, some officials wondered if they should continue the practice of annual burning as the Awanichis had done, but early park advocates such as Frederick Law Olmsted and John Muir lobbied against the tactic. Muir supported fire suppression to protect trees and other flora, and Olmsted agreed, going so far as to recommend building roads around giant sequoia groves to create a fire gap that he believed would protect them. The attitude toward fire as a force of destruction that needed to be controlled by suppression uh, really prevailed over the next century and has caused a lot of problems for the Western United States as a result, as we've seen this year and in previous years. But the mistakes made in early fire management is a huge topic for another episode all about fire. Since the Awanichis were forced out of the valley in the 1850s, a lot has changed in the ecosystem they established. Today, black oak trees are struggling in the dense forests of conifer trees that have taken over the landscape. Black oaks can grow very tall, but few of them can compete with the height of ponderosa pines. What little sunlight an oak tree is able to gather from under the canopy is often not enough to support the spreading nature of oak branches. Many black oaks you see today have shed their lower limbs to concentrate on vertical growth. The tree sheds limbs by cutting off nutrient supply to branches that are consuming more carbohydrate than they are producing from photosynthesis. This self-pruning process is not necessarily unhealthy, but it is certainly indicative of how the changing environment affects the centuries-old black oak trees. Self-pruning also poses a great risk in the winter during periods of inclement weather. Weakened branches snap off of the trees and can come crashing to the ground after a heavy snow or during high wind events. The advice here is, if you are in Yosemite Valley during severe weather conditions, it is recommended that you avoid walking in forested areas. And it's not just the oak trees you have to worry about. A lot of our ponderosa pines have been sickened and many have died from years of bark beetle infestation, which is why you see so many dead conifers all over the Sierra Nevada today. Those trees are highly susceptible to breaking or falling over in high winds or during a snowstorm as well. Um, Injury and death from falling trees and tree limbs have become more frequent in recent years. In 2015, a large branch from an oak tree fell on two young campers while they were sleeping in one of Yosemite Valley's campgrounds, killing them both. And in 2017, a tree came down on a woman during a winter storm, killing her as well. In the unusually harsh winter of 2018 to 2019, trees coming down in employee housing during one storm hit electrical wires, which set one cabin on fire and it was completely destroyed and uh, closed the housing area for several weeks before crews could even begin to clear the destruction. And everyone during that time um, was essentially, they couldn't go home um, for several weeks. And I believe even uh, it extended well pa- well over a month. It's a... It's a hard time. I suppose the point I'm trying to make is that there are a lot of things that changed with the management that came with Western Settlement. Choosing not to manage the valley floor with fire and allowing vegetation to grow freely for over a hundred years created um, an overgrown landscape. It seems like most of the trees in Yosemite Valley are at risk right now because there are not enough resources to go around, especially since we are dealing with the effects of climate change and what drier years mean for trees that are already competing for limited resources. So the Park Service is well aware of the risks posed by the dense forest situation and the changing climate. So what you see when you come to Yosemite today are Park Service personnel working really hard all summer to thin out the forest and collect the dead material to burn away in the winter. 
They're also taking measures to protect old oak trees and um, propagate new oaks since the drastic decline of new black oak growth was discovered beginning in the early part of the 20th century. And that was around when private automobiles started to become more prevalent in Yosemite Valley. In one of the more controversial actions to take place in recent years, four giant sequoia trees that had been planted in the valley in the 1860s were cut down to open the space back up for the native black oak trees. Because the sequoias were planted by early settlers, they were not considered a natural part of the environment, and giant sequoias do not typically grow in the climate of Yosemite Valley, so they weren't totally healthy either. Now, I understood the decision to cut down the giant sequoias, but I have to admit that particular event did bring me to tears. I had really grown to love those sequoias over the years, and I used them as a teaching tool for visitors to Yosemite Valley who may not have had time to visit the giant sequoia groves on their trip. But even though those trees were removed, the sequoias still have a lesson to teach. The lesson of best practices for a natural yet managed landscape, and how much should we involve ourselves in it? Yosemite Valley has become a place where the actual effects of a natural environment are impractical and dangerous for what it has become, a place of resort and recreation. That we now have to mimic the effects of nature to keep the environment maintained is a paradox that is not necessarily advertised and may be lost on many visitors. The balance between preservation and use is very delicate. The Awanichis had their own priority when managing the land of Yosemite. The Park Service has a very different priority today than it did 100 years ago. But who knows what is right in the long run? Maybe the things we do today with the best intentions will have negative repercussions in the future. In fact, some undoubtedly will. But everything we do matters as a species and as individuals. Sometimes it's hard to know if what we are doing is right for the future. We have to keep trying different things and learning along the way. That's how we evolve and grow. And with so much changing around us all the time, the learning process is ongoing with infinite possibilities. If you want to see Black Oaks on your next visit to Yosemite Valley, I suggest heading to the Awani Hotel. The area beyond the wedding lawn has many tree species, among them ponderosa pines, incense cedars, western dogwoods, big leaf maples, giant sequoias, and even a sugar pine. It's a fun little scavenger hunt to try and identify all the different tree species, but pay particular attention to the black oaks, especially if you're visiting from September to November. If you just stay still for a few moments, you will see the abundance of wildlife species that prefer these areas for those delicious acorns. You may even spot one of our resident black bears as they pack on that extra weight before tucking themselves in for a long winter's nap. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod. If you like this podcast and if you are able to take a few minutes to rate and review, that would be enormously helpful and is a great way to help more people find this content. If you cannot rate and review the podcast because your podcast platform does not support it, and I'm looking at you here, Spotify, then please tell your friends about Little Yo Pod. Word of mouth can be just as powerful as online reviews, so I will be happy either way. And to show my appreciation for your effort, I am offering free Little Yo Pod stickers to fans of this podcast. These stickers are perfect for your water bottle, laptop, Yeti cooler, or bear vault. If you want a sticker, go ahead and send an email to littleyopod at gmail.com with your mailing address and uh, I will send one out to you. And you can also contact me on the, on the uh, Little Yo Pod Facebook page if you like. 
uh, or the little YoPod Instagram. You can just DM me there as well. Now, I can only send these stickers out to folks in the, in the United States right now because of the cost of postage. It's all coming out of my own pocket. And believe it or not, I do not get paid to do this podcast. <laughs> Crazy. I know. <laughs> Maybe one day. So there's a financial limit to what I can do right now. But thank you so much to my international listen- listeners. I'm really hoping that one day, if and when uh, we have more funding, that I'll be able to figure something out for you guys as well. Uh, check the show notes today for resources on this episode, including really cool information on squirrels and their acorn gathering behavior, links to the Yosemite Museum and the Indian Village. And there's also a great video that I'm going to link um, from the series Nature Notes about the black oak trees of Yosemite. And you can find these resources on the Little Yopod Facebook page as well. And while you're there, if you want to like that page, you will get notifications as we release new episodes. This week's fun fact, when stashing acorns for winter, gray squirrels sometimes crack the nuts open before burying them to prevent germination. Gray squirrels have also been known to pretend to bury their acorn if they think they are being watched. While the acorn thief is busy digging up the decoy, the squirrel then buries their treasure in a more secure location. Sneaky little sneaks. (laughs) I've never seen them do this that I know of, but I have seen a squirrel... um, chase after a raven that was digging up his nut that he just buried and the squirrel I'm pretty sure that little squirrel was really upset if he could have shook a little squirrel fist at him I'm sure he would have well that's going to wrap it up for this episode of little yo pod I'm Laura Jackson thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful day